You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time, she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation, and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, our show is about being. And I have this wonderful book. You and I have talked about we are spiritual beings having a human experience instead of so since we are human beings, maybe we learn, we must learn how to be. And there's a great book that I have right here in front of me that I've been reading. It's called Seeing, Knowing, Being, A Guide to Sacred Awakenings by John Greer, who's a professor. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, but it's a great book. And, and we're going to talk about that because when you really are being, when you're being the spiritual being that you're supposed to be in your human experience, it is a great way for you to deal with conflict and for you to actually be in that conflict and resolve it and know that it is for a purpose. So let me tell you a little bit about this wonderful professor who's coming to us all the way from Memphis, Tennessee. John Greer has spent nearly 20 years inquiring deeply into the sacred texts and teachings of the world's traditions, and this was spurred by his own spiritual search. He's a dedicated practitioner of meditation and has taught insight meditation for over a decade. John Greer holds a PhD in education from Pennsylvania State University. And in the last three decades as a professor at the University of Memphis, he has published numerous articles, co-authored several books on education and special education. And he was a recipient of university's highest award for distinguished teaching. He's also served for two years in Nepal with the Peace Corps, and he's traveled extensively on six continents. And he has this great book, which I've been reading, called Seeing, Knowing, and Being. And we thank you, John, for joining us all the way from the East Coast. Well, thank you for having me, Mari. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be here. I feel honored. Well, let's talk about what inspired you to write Seeing, Knowing, and Being. Well, uh, I think it would be uh, two different parts to the question. Uh, first of all, um, when I started my practice, I'd been raised in a very religious family, and I had the peace of mind that comes as a childhood believer. I wanted to go into the ministry and had anticipated that when I went into college, but I had an intuitive disquiet. I, I, the, the idea of any particular religion having a monopoly on truth just didn't uh, sit well with me, and it, it led to questions I couldn't find answers from. So I, I traveled to do that, and uh, it took me a long time. My travels didn't get me to the answer directly. But ultimately, um, I found uh, the Buddhist practice that I did uh, practice for 20 years, and the, the effect that that had on me, 
uh, I wanted to share with others. And the second thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to share with others what I had found that, that shed light on uh, the world that uh, we live in and the, the, uh, the religious conflict that we have. Uh, we really are living in a global village now. And uh, it, the, the need for a in, more inclusive spirituality seemed very, uh, very clear to me. And that's what my book is about, uh, finding what is common at the heart of all human spirituality. Great. I love it. And I love the book. So let's talk about how these ideas in your book relate to conflict resolution, which is really what this show is about. Exactly. Really, um, the, the practice that, that uh, I was led through by my, my teacher, Matthew Flickstein, um, examines the, um, the conditioning that, that we undergo. All mystical practice really tries to penetrate the conditioning. When we're born, we're born into wholeness. But uh, from a very early age, and with my own uh, grandchildren, I can watch their, their world being constructed by those around them. They're given a name, and they're, they're told uh, what different things are, and uh, they're taught to do uh, the right and wrong and, and so forth. Uh, but in that conditioning process, which, of course, is absolutely essential or we couldn't survive in society, but we, we develop the idea that we are separate and vulnerable. And just the structure of language, uh, I, me, my, mine, every time we speak, we almost use that. And it hides the wholeness of our true nature. And one of the, the phrases that you hear over and over again is, the map is not the territory. Like longitude and, and latitude on the globe, you can't see it from the moon. Uh, we use it for... Uh, communication and coordination of our, our human civilization, but it's not actual on the planet Earth. And the lines that we draw conceptually in our own experience, in our own lives, are conventions, but they're not inherent in what is. And so uh, that's where suffering comes from and conflict. Uh, when you see yourself as alone and vulnerable, you tend to be defensive, you protect your position, and, uh, and conflict ensues. Right. And, you know, I guess there's, there's negative conflict and there's positive conflict. You know, since I deal with conflict all the time, sometimes conflict or often conflict, if handled correctly, is really a great impetus for change. It's a growth opportunity. You, what you and I have been talking about, basically, is the negative conflict, the conflict that causes pain and anguish and suffering. And um, so that's, that's what I think you're talking about. So yeah. When you, yeah. So when you're talking about the underlying causes of conflict, is it really that separateness that we feel? Is that what you would say? Yes, I, th I think we all feel that uh, in, in uh, uh, a very strong way. I think uh, there's so many things that um, we do in society.
society to uh, to find ourselves and to strengthen who we think we are. Uh, bookstores are filled with self-help things and and assertiveness uh, training and and those types of things because we perceive ourselves as separate and vulnerable and alone. And it, it's it's really a figure ground perception. Both are, are needed. We, with the conditioning that we have as a human being in, in society, all the emphasis is placed on the figure. And you don't see the figure without the ground, but when all the, the emphasis is placed on the figure, then it's an unbalanced situation. And when you have insight, when you have mystical insight, it's as if the wave realizes that it's really one with the other waves. It's one with the ocean. Uh, it's a conventional separation, but in truth, it, it holds in common uh, the characteristics of the entire wave, I mean, of the ocean. So when, when that is seen, then uh, it produces a great deal of, of uh, peace and, and feeling of well-being in, in uh, a person's life. So we're each like the drops of the water in the ocean, right? <laughs> yes, it's, um, and and it it it's impractical for for some things, of course, and and we we carry identity with us all the time. We have our our uh, different uh, ID cards and our driver's license and everything else, and and all of that is absolutely necessary, but we mustn't forget that it's all conventional. And uh, when both the figure and the ground can be seen and understood to be an essential aspect of what we are, then it can bring balance into the way we, we see life. Um, all the, the techniques that are important with conflict resolution, of course, still, still remain. And one of the, the most important that comes from the practice that I did uh, was what you were talking about in the beginning, and that is being. Um, we typically, in, in the lives we lead, we're on a fast-forward uh, fast type of life. We're always in a rush. There's never enough time. When I, when I came back from Peace Corps, one of the most difficult things for me to adjust to in our society was the clock, because when I was in Nepal, uh, people didn't have watches. You you uh, told the seasons, of course, by the the passing of, of the moon and the planting of, of the crops, and your days were punctuated by uh, the rising and setting of the sun. And when I came back, there were deadlines, and I ended entered graduate school. It's very hard to, to adjust to it. And so when we're, we're embedded in, in that type lifestyle, our lives are very complicated. Even our children yes. have, have complicated lives. The, I don't know if you ever read the book, The Hurried Child, but the, their schedules are booked a lot of times. Right. So in that circumstance, it's hard to be. It's hard to return to the moment. But in the moment is when we can really understand conflict. Yes. Uh, 
as as you know, Mari, if you're listening to somebody, uh, most of us have the experience that when you're listening to somebody, you're formulating a, an answer while you're listening to them. And in practice, the the focus is on being with what they say. Yes. And when when you are truly with a person, when they say something to you, you're completely open and you're not formulating your answer. You hear it at another level. And it's from that level that we can answer in a more uh in a more effective way. And that's that's really very important. Listening skills are I, again, I'm I'm preaching to the choir. I'm sure with you, mm-hmm. but but listening is such an important part of of conflict. Um, I statements, of course, you know, if we can change the way we say things and and put the the emphasis on I feel this instead of pointing the finger at the the other person and saying when you do this, uh, the, things like that. But if we are totally present with whoever we uh, are having a disagreement with or a conflict with. Uh, I think that's a very important therapeutic uh, technique. Right. When you're talking about this therapeutic technique and how to listen, a lot of people say, I listen, I listen. But as you said before, they're they're formulating what they're going to say back. So Right. What what I do in mediation and what the te- the tools that I teach as well is to really force yourself to listen. You tell the person that you're going to tell them what they said afterward. So when someone t- tells me their story, I take good notes and then I say, let me see if I understood everything that you're concerned about. And then mm. I then I tell them back what I heard and what yeah. I understood that they said and ask them if I left anything out, which usually I don't, they're pretty surprised, but I take notes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I ask them, is there anything else that they want me to know or to tell me about it? And then if they tell me, then I say, okay, this is what I understand that you're saying. Yeah. And so that helps me to be a good listener because I, ha- I know I'm going to be tested. <laughs> right, right, that's excellent. That really is. That's an excellent, excellent thing. Yeah, so I just tell them, I'm going to hear you, and I'm going to take notes so that I can make sure that I understood what you said, and you'll have the opportunity to let me know if I got it right. Right. And then people feel legitimized, and there is that connection, because I'm not thinking about what I'm thinking or I'm judging. Right. I, I can't judge if I have to be, you know, really listening carefully to get into their shoes, so to speak. That's right. That's excellent. That really is. And then I guess we're being, you know, I had a question, you know, I've been a meditator for transcendental meditation that I learned when I was 19 at the University (laughs) of Wisconsin. And, and I've learned some other meditations, but basically, you know, I, I get up at five and I try to do something for at least 20 minutes to a half hour. Oh, wonderful. And uh, I, you know, because I, I have a stressful life, and I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be a, you know, a, a being, and um, so I wondered what insight meditation was. Is that a specific kind, or is that when you're meditating and you have insights? Help me understand. The me- insight meditation in in 
in uh, the other term for it is vipassana. That's the original term. And when I dis- when I was looking for a practice, I really didn't know where to go. I didn't have a teacher, and I figured I would go for the for something that had been around a long time and had been tried out. And and vipassana was the the technique that the Buddha taught himself. And it first of all, it's based on concentration. And and a lot of the students that take my classes are under tremendous stress in their own lives. And so they want something to help with their stress. And for them, concentration does that. A calm mind is a calm body. And so if you can calm your mind down by focusing on a, a specific thing, as, as you do, I think, with, yeah, mantra. with, with mm-hmm. your mantra, um, with insight meditation, after, after concentration is developed, then there are things that, that you begin to focus on. And you focus, it's kind of like looking for a tick in the watch. Hmm. You take what we think of as ourself, and you look at the individual parts, and you can, with concentration and years of practice, you can see that those things have no self-involvement. And it's like taking the, the watch apart because when you take everything that makes up the watch, the tick is, can't be found. It's, it's that type of, of idea. It's, it's, um, it's hard to explain because we, our whole lives we have been uh, focused from the position of a self, but the, the mystical insight is that we aren't what we think we are. It's almost like quantum physics. Like, you know, when I walk my dog and I'm looking around and I, and I think of myself as molecules and, you know, cells, molecules, and atoms. Yeah. And then I look at the tree and I say, okay, that tree is made up of cells, molecules, and atoms, you know? And I yeah. think of the the car that drives by and I say it's made up of molecules and atoms. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, 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 that's how I try to get to that, that oneness of recognizing that in quantum physics, everything is really vibrating at, at a molecular level. And I'm just doing the same thing that this cup of water has right in front of me, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, it, it sounds real simple, but when I do that, and and I kind of do that when I before I meditate. I go, okay, you've got your. I'm just seeing this energy filling my cells, my molecules, my atoms, <laughs> and it and it kind of gets me to that point where I'm not in each organ. I'm I try to get out of my head. So, you know, I mean, I have to find something that's simple. You know. Well, that that parallel that you were drive, uh, drawing with with quantum physics has always been very important to me. Uh, it, it, I, I had a, a science background at, at uh, Penn State with, uh, you know, just uh, behavioral consequences and, and uh, single-subject design and that type thing and improving the efficacy of a, of a strategy. But with quantum physics... Uh, the particle and the wave and the, and the jump, the quantum jump between particle and wave kind of describes what you were, 
what you were just doing, yeah. at least in my own mind, as the self were the particle, were the thing you can see, place, and time, and measure, and so forth. The wave is just energy, and it's the jump, and, and uh, we're probably getting too uh, technical here, but, but uh, Einstein's uh, famous uh, the formula of E equals MC squared was drawing the equality of energy and matter. And, and you, were, you were pointing to the exact same yeah. thing. <laughs> At a very simple level. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. So, it, you know, in your book, Seeing, Knowing, Being, A Guide to Sacred Awakenings, and by the way, if you're just listening in, this is John Greer I'm talking with, um, you, you have a chapter on alignment. So right. What, what relevance does it have to healing conflict? It's, it's, this is a really an important question uh, for our discussion here, and, and it was for the book. Um, you know, when you go into a place of worship, Mari, uh, a temple, a synagogue, a mosque, a church, usually you do something just to instill a sense of reverence in you and, and to become receptive to the wisdom that, that you're going to, uh, to hear you. Um, you, you try and shift gears out of the busy, busyness of, of the everyday to the, the sermon you're going to hear or, or whatever it is. And with practice, you can't concentrate the mind if you're doing things that are unethical. If you're at odds with all different types of people, if you're over de- overly demanding or you're arrogant or... Uh, fault-finding with others, then you can't calm the mind down. And so alignment is trying to be, um, trying to be at peace with, with your surroundings, with the people that you're with. And it's, you know, they say the happiest predictor of concentration in meditation, and concentration is the pre- prerequisite for insight uh, and, and um, serious practice, the best predictor of concentration is happiness. Mm. If you are at ease with yourself, if you don't have, you know, they always say uh, a, a, a clean conscience is a soft pillow. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of the same thing. If you are at odds, if you have bitterness, resentment, hatred, anger, all any of those things, uh, my, I, for my students I call it like a bungee cord. You get down to a certain level of concentration and you're yanked right back by a thought of that individual or that, that thing that happened when you were a child or whatever, and it destroys your ability to receive the the wisdom that you're trying to find and and it, that alignment is the same thing that's necessary in in so many of our activities and and the one that that I would I thought I would mention in in the interview for conflict resolution is loving kindness meditation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is this is wonderful. Are you familiar with it? You probably are. Yeah. Why don't you tell my audience a little bit? Loving kindness meditation, also called meta meditation, M-E-T-T-A, is where I have my students do it 
when they're sitting down to get ready to meditate. And you wish well-being on the other people in your life. Uh, it can be several statements that you would say, or it can be just, just something like, uh, may my family be well, happy, and peaceful. peaceful. May my um, acquaintances at work be well, happy, and peaceful. It's that type thing. And you extend that wish for well-being out from yourself. You actually start with yourself. And ironically, that's one of the hardest. We ourselves are sometimes the hardest to wish well-being to, uh, to forgive, to let go. It's, it's, uh, it can be very difficult. But like concentric lines, you know, when you drop a pebble in a pond, they extend out until all of life is, is included, even those that uh, you consider enemies. And when, that's, when that is done, and it takes, again, years of practice, the mind is calm, and you are able to uh, see more accurately uh, what is happening in your life. So any degree of that uh, is going to facilitate uh, effective con- conflict resolution. Yeah, and you know what I do? You're going to laugh at this again with my little tricks that I do, but um, I do that before I go into a mediation. You know, mm. I, I see everybody loving, and I, but I, I imagine in my mind's eye like a pink light of love mm. just going into every nook and cranny of the room mm. so that before they come into the room, I have, you know, put that energy out there that they are walking into a, a room that, that's filled with love. Oh, that's wonderful. And, um, you know, it, whatever, if it's placebo or whatever, but it works for me. Yes. <laughs> we, that, that is exactly, uh, my students say, well, does this work? Is it really changed the other person? And I say, there's, there's no, no telling if that happens but it changes me. You know, there are button pushers in all of our lives. And when when I have thought of people who um, I have maybe not the best relationship with, if I use loving kindness and I I call their face up in my mind, I, I see their face, and if I wish, you know, loving kindness with them, it changes my behavior. And my behavior, I think, is then picked up by the other person, and that changes their behavior. I have found that it's a very effective thing to do, uh, even though it, its effectiveness is first, I think, upon us. Just like when you envision the, 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 the loving uh, environment Energy, in yeah. which you're going to do the conflict resolution, it, it certainly helps you. It's like a shift from the, the head to the heart. And when we're relating to other human beings, uh, the heart is the connector and the mind is the divider. And that is a perfect way to end. We are just out of time. John, why don't you give your website, and I'll just tell people that they can get Seeing, Knowing, Being, A Guide to Sacred Awakenings. It's wonderful, John Greer. And just give your website, and it's okay. time for us to go. Okay, it's seeingknowingbeing.com. 
Easy. And it has been a joy to be on here, Mari. Okay, we will keep in touch, John. Take care. Okay, uh-huh. All right. bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org and the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com where you can see our upcoming guests and you can download podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Bye. It's about trust. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.